I'm Alec Baldwin, and you are listening to Mission Daily. Selected as Best of 2018 by Apple, Mission Daily is the number one podcast for accelerated learning. Hey guys, it's Rachel Kanye here. Today we have Glenn Allison, Chief Operating Officer of Honey, a browser extension that automatically finds and applies coupon codes to your purchase online. In this episode, Stephanie sits down with Glenn to discuss how he manages Honey's explosive growth and the challenges that come with it. From defining what the company's values are and building company culture to hiring dynamic employees who can grow with your company over time. Stay tuned for more from Glenn Allison of Honey. Glenn, so glad to have you on the podcast. Hey, thanks. Uh, Happy to be here. Yeah, it's really nice. So you're in LA, right? We are sunny Los Angeles for now. Yeah, other than the sad part of the police sirens you're talking about, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that's just that's just part of the game down here. Yeah, that's all right. So um, tell us a little bit about Honey. Sure, um, Honey is what we're calling the smart shopping assistant. Uh, I think a lot of folks know us as that coupon app, but uh, over the last couple of years, we've been working really hard to offer more to our clients. So as the team has been doubling year over year, uh, we've been adding a lot more functionality to what we do and what we can offer. We just released a mobile app a couple weeks ago that's in limited distribution that we're starting to ramp up pretty quickly as we work through issues. But the goal really is for us to provide value to the members in our community. And, and right now we like to say we're, we're, our goal is to make the world more fair. We build a free tool that gives you free money. So there's, there's not a lot wrong with that in most people's eyes. So we're, we're trying to figure out how we do that at scale and how we can actually bring people more free money, which is, you know, it's really a rewarding job for myself and everybody else that's here at Honey. Yeah. Yeah. I think I first heard of you. Was it, when did you guys start? Two years ago? No, uh, no, about six and a half years ago. Oh, yeah. Wow. It's been, okay. It's been a while. Um, so, you know, the, the story of one of our founders sitting around one night and Googling for coupon codes, trying to figure yeah. out how we could order pizza for cheaper, just frustrated him to the point where there's got to be a better way. And, and, and turns out there was. There's, there's a lot of different people out there today that offer that. But the, the frustration of finding that invalid coupon code or figuring out it doesn't work, just it, it's so pervasive that uh, our initial foray into helping people save money was, was the automation of coupons. But now it's just extended itself to so much more because of the capabilities we have as a product. Yep. I'm the type of person who will spend like an hour trying to find a 20 cents off coupon for it to keep telling me this one's not valid. This one's not valid. So when I first found Honey and saw, oh, it's just a Chrome extension that'll just tell me automatically where I'm wherever I'm at. I'm like, this is game changing. Yeah. I mean, we it's, uh, you know, two things happen there, right? So you get to save time or you get a lot of confidence that we've actually done all the work to say, hey, th- there is actually no coupon out there. Right. Yeah. In, in more than half the cases, coupons actually don't exist. So, yeah. you know, sometimes our users express frustration saying, hey, you, you know, you didn't save me any money. I'm like, well, there actually is no money to be saved, <laughs> but you can then have confidence that this is the best price on the Internet right now. So given that, do you want to make that purchase or you don't? Um, if you don't want to make it, you know, we added another feature that we call drop list that says, cool, why don't you just click a button and tell me when it gets cheaper in the future uh, and we'll notify you. Initially, we would just tell you when it got cheaper. Now we tell you, let us know when you want to know what price it hits and then yeah. we'll notify you. That's really powerful because it, it signifies uh, signifies purchase intent to the merchant and lets the user know like, hey, I'm just going to kind of bookmark this and I'll forget about it until you tell me that I you know, really can't miss this deal. Yep. Do you think that helped with consumer sentiment a lot? Because you know, people, when they get upset around certain things like that, it's like, well, 
we're just telling you the truth. And maybe sometimes the truth, just giving them something else of like, we're still doing something for you in the background, holds them over until they get that next discount? Or how do you guys approach that? Yeah, I think so. I think our product team led by uh, George, our CEO and, and founder, really likes to focus on the consumer experience, right? Like what, what is the thought process behind the average consumer? What what are they thinking when they are, are trying to shop? And what would make them feel better in the situation where A, there is money to be saved and B, where there isn't money to be saved? And, and that's really where, okay, great. We couldn't save you any money, but we, we came up with another product, which we call Honey Gold. So saying, hey, great. If, if we didn't save you any money on the actual transaction, how about we share some of our commission back to you after you make the purchase? Um, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, you have a free tool that gives you free money. What's the catch? Well, the catch is pretty simple, right? The merchants reward us with a small commission every time we help you convert the shopping cart. So uh, as a result, we're, we're very happy, again, in, in our mission of making the world more fair to share some of that commission back to the end user. So great, we make a couple bucks on this deal. Why don't we put that into your Honey Gold bank account? And when, once you have enough of it, you just take an Amazon gift card and there's more free money from Honey. Yeah, that's awesome. So to pivot a little bit, how did you come into the COO role? What was your background and how long have you been COO at Honey? I have been at Honey full-time about three years. And I met George and Ryan, the founders, about five years ago. And um, at the time I was working at Twitter and uh, I was thinking of transitioning out of Twitter. And I had just moved to Los Angeles from the Bay Area. And I had I was considering, do I start my own company? Do I join another you know, startup? What do, what do I want to do? And I got a chance to, to meet George and Ryan, and they were only a company of three or four people at the time. And they were like, hey, we would love to have you join a COO. And I, I, my initial response was, if you need a COO at four or five people, then you know, it, there's probably something else that, that needs to be fixed here. Yeah. Uh, so I said, hey, let me, let me go off and just start my own company for now, and I'll, I'll advise you guys. And you know, I'm happy to answer any questions. And as you scale and as you start hitting all the numbers we keep talking about, I will give up whatever it is I'm doing and join you guys full time. And sure enough, as I kept checking in and having all my meetings with with George and saying, hey, how's progress coming? What's going on here? What's going on there? It just became readily apparent that, wow, this, this company is onto something special. Uh, it really does need somebody that manages the operations and helps that helps scale. So about, yeah, maybe a year and a half, two years into my own company, I decided I'm going to walk away from that. Wow and join Honey full time and watch, uh, watch the rocket ship take off. So it's been really fun, you know, joining in around two dozen employees. And now we're, uh, we're sitting at around 260 today, three years later. So it's been, it's been a lot of growth. It's been, it's been really fun watching that happen. But yeah, you know, my background to get to COO is, is kind of all over the place. So yeah. it's, I, I think actually that makes her a good COO because it just means I can kind of handle anything thrown my way. Yep. I agree. I was, I was going to use some curse words. I don't know what the, I don't know what the rules are. <laughs> we'll have to bleep them out for you. <laughs> Got it. I, then I will do my best to show restraint. Now, go ahead. And if our audio engineer needs to bleep it out, we can do that. <laughs> Perfect. So how do you handle exponential growth like that? Because, you know, for at the mission, we have maybe a total of like 15 people. And even going from like five to 15 felt like a little bit of a struggle. So how do you grow sustainably while also training and retaining and letting go of people that aren't a good fit? How do you set those processes up? Yeah, it's tough. And there isn't a process that will last you through each phase of transition. And I think that's what we've learned. The the successful company that we are today is because I like to say we don't have a rule book that we follow. Uh, we're, We're constantly rewriting the rule book. We're constantly trying to evolve what happens here. 
you know, Reed Hoffman's got his Masters of Scale uh, podcast going on, and he's got a great book around it as well. And he describes it from that small family to a team, and from a team to a village, and from a village to a city, to a state, to a yeah. municipality, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And, and it's true, everything changes. You know, when there are five of you at the mission, you could all sit around the same table and have lunch yeah. and talk about everything and everybody's plugged in. And then all of a sudden it's like too big for all of you to go get coffee together, right? It would take an hour to order everything at a fills or you know, something yeah. like that. So we, we've been through a lot of those transitions and quite frankly, the, the best thing that has worked for us is continually discussing how that happens. Uh, and at the end of the, the day, the company is comprised of people and talking about the specific people was something we focused on in the early days. Uh, and then uh, then it starts moving into groups of people as you get quite a bit bigger and how do you deal with you know teams and how do you deal with organizations? But it, it, but it really does. There's a lot of there's a lot of empathy that goes into growing a company. And sometimes it, it is tough. You, you, you know you mentioned transitions and terminations and exits from employees. And you know we, we definitely have had the experience where uh, a person that we loved and they loved us that loved working at a company with 20 people is not the same person that wants to work at a company with 200 people. It just yeah. moves at a slightly different pace. So how, how do you find the right folks that are willing to grow with you? And that's something that we're actually working really hard during our interview process. And now is identifying the characteristics of people that can deal with dynamic environments. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, we're hiring you today. The job is amazing. We expect you to go kill it here for the next year in this position. However, 18 months from now, we expect to be you know, more than double in size. Is this something that we think you're going to adapt to? Are you going to help us level up? Uh, are you going to personally, and those are the words we use a lot, leveling up. Yeah. Uh, we're always looking for folks that can that can take it to the next level. And that's been really tough. And again, we, I think Jeff Bezos calls them two pizza teams, right? If you can't feed a team with more than the two pizzas, you've got to figure out how to blow it apart. So we're, uh, we're, we're trying to think about how we handle that as well. You know, it's been a constant challenge and I expect it to be, you know, even more so as we double again once yep. more this year. Yeah. So what traits do you look for when you're hiring people for, I mean, that's how it worked here too. We hired someone maybe last year and their job is completely different. They're doing nothing what they were doing a year ago. And some of those people really love those type of situations and some don't. So how do you hire for, you know, people with those attributes? Yeah. So we, you know, we, we established, and I think it's really important that a company establishes who they are very early so that everybody can refer back to the basic platform of who they are and their values. Um, so when I get to the company, we dug in deep and decided, let's let's make sure we get our values on paper so that when we add new employees to the mix, so that when we go through process to start interviewing, we can always refer back to something, right? It's our, it's our base landmark of, okay, that's who we are as a company. Can somebody adapt to that style? Uh, and if so, let's figure out how to interview them for that. You know, two, two things I like to say when candidates ask me all the time. And, and I still try to interview almost every single candidate that comes through the door. I worked at Microsoft for almost 10 years, and we had this concept of having somebody from way outside the scope interview a person just to make sure they were a fit for the company, not yeah. so much for the job. And uh, I always tell every candidate, we're all, we're all about accountability and transparency here. So I think if we can you know, ensure that we do that in the interview process as well, we get a chance to tell everybody, like, hey, we love what you're doing right now. You, you could really bring us to the next level. What you're going to do is something you're going to love. However, just know that that's likely to change, right? If you do your job and do it well, chances are you'll finish it. <laughs> if you finish it, there's going to be something new to do. Chances are that means it'll be with new team members. It'll be with cross-functional groups. It'll be, you know, who knows what it is and, and does that excite you? 
And I think those are the things we're trying to find out through the interview process. Who really is looking for a job and then who is really looking for an experience. And, yeah. and the folks that are looking for a, you know, a life-changing experience are the ones that I think uh, here at Honey we've been lucky enough to pull in. I love that. Yeah. So how do you, when you're bringing someone in initially and maybe as you grow, you realize, okay, you might actually maybe not down level them, but you have to start bringing in people, you know, on the executive team and you go from being a startup where maybe they were a VP and then having to be like, okay, well now we actually have to bring in VPs. Like how do you have those conversations and how do you transition roles in a way that lets employees know like they're really valuable and they're still going to be doing amazing work but we have to start setting up maybe a little bit of hierarchy, if you can call it that. Yeah, so we, I forget the author of the article, but we've shared it around the company every couple months because I think it's really important. But the, the title of the article is something along, along the lines of sharing your Legos. At a startup, you get to own everything, right? I, when I first got here, I was doing everything from washing dishes to putting desks together to brokering multi-million dollar deals, right? Like you just get your arms wrapped around everything. At this point in time, I don't even know how we order furniture, right? Like I had to give up that piece of the job and, and people will start to narrow down their scope a little bit, but we like to think about it in that we're always painting opportunity for people at Honey. And what I think makes us pretty unique here is that we, we sort of under hire by, by design and a lot of companies that are doing, doing the, are having the success that we're having, uh, the board will come in and say, wow, you've got all this money in the bank and you're doing so great. Just hire, 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 just double the company every three months. And for us, we decided a long time ago, it wasn't worth the cultural impact to do something like that. So we really try to slow grow the company such that everybody has an opportunity to do something as well as grow within that job. There isn't, there isn't the point where we ever hire duplicative job roles where you're fighting with somebody to say, oh my gosh, I like doing that. And now you're doing it, right? It, it's definitely to the point where you still have scope to grow in every role. And that gives you uh, a couple benefits. One, it lets the culture be additive rather than diluting it with a ton of new people that are taking over all this stuff and then bringing in a bunch of different uh, influence that you haven't had a chance to shape. So you get, you get a chance to control that. And then the other part is you still allow people to do the functions they like and then identify where do we really, really need to hire somebody. I will always have 20 engineer jobs open. Like I know that for the rest of Honey's time, we'll just have that open. We'll hire 20 and 20 more will be open. But we'll also have taken the time to create much more valuable work. We'll create opportunities for new people to come on board. So you do have to share your Legos a little bit. But if we do things right and we focus on the layer that we hope to focus on here at Honey over the next couple of years, the management team will be so solid that they can continue to create opportunities. And I think that's actually what makes us very different and unique here is how much we focus on the management layer. Because if you don't do that correctly, all of your rock stars are going to get bored. They're all going to get frustrated and then immediately say, oh, this is just another corporate job. And, you know, my 25 years in the industry, I never wanted to work another corporate job in my life. And here we are growing a corporation. And I hope and, you know, I knock on wood that we continue to make it as unique as possible. So how do you view the role of COO? Like, what is what's the goal of the role or what is your goal that you wake up every day where you're like, I need to do this or I need to focus on this? I know it might change every month, but what's the overall overarching goal? Yeah. Um, I, I try to answer that to my mom and it's like, uh, I, I, I'm not sure. Right. Like sometimes I come home, I'm like, I have no idea what I did. Yeah. What's your job? <laughs> yeah. But at the end of the month, I look back and I say, Oh wow, we got that done as a company. Right. So I have a great partnership with our CEO, George, and I think our skills are very complementary. And I think that's the, the, the job of the CEO first and foremost is to augment what the CEO doesn't have in my opinion. 
George is a great visionary. He's a great strategist. He's got super deep thought on how he wants things to happen. He doesn't have the tactical or execution side of how do those things happen, right? So he and I spend a lot of time together. We talk about what what does he want to see for the company? How does he want to you know, do things? And then I sort of take that. I'm like, okay, great. That means I need X number of people here. That means we need to start slicing things up this way and then just really put that into play. So uh, yeah, my job changes constantly and frequently, which is, you know, I, I've been in this role for three years now, which is the longest I've been in any particular single job my entire <laughs> life because I tend to get bored. And, and this job doesn't allow for that. It allows me to keep pushing and, and really making what I consider the COO is really the platform for the company. I want to make everybody that comes to work, I want their experience to be frictionless. Uh, I want it to be fun and challenging, and I want it to be rewarding. So if they can come to work and uh, their parking pass worked that day, their badge to get through the door worked out okay, they had a desk that was there with a computer that worked, coffee's already brewed in the morning, you know, lunch services being set up for them, uh, the meeting rooms are you know, bookable and they're clean and ready for the whiteboards to be drawn on if their payroll got paid, if, uh, you know, it, you know, all of the things that you don't really think about in this world just happen, then I've done my job well. Yeah. And it's, you know, when I, and when I talk to the, the folks on my team, I kind of explain it the same way. In, being in operations is sometimes a thankless role. People just assume it's easy. Uh, it's like, oh yeah, of course. Oh, that's easy. I could do that. But having 700 things all work perfectly all the time is actually, you know, pretty hard to orchestrate. So having folks show up and be like, great, the entire, you know, the electric bill is paid. Turns out Wi-Fi works at the building, like all of these things, right? Yeah. Uh, it, it just, it, it takes a lot of coordination and it, it does take a really big team to make it work, especially as you start scaling. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I think I've, forget who I talked to in the past where they said, if you don't have to ask me what I'm doing or you don't have to kind of call out issues that are going on, that means I'm doing my job. It's kind of a lot of times in the background, like you said, the payroll's getting paid or switching over to different healthcare providers and it's just all working seamlessly. You're doing a great job. <laughs> yeah, that's what I, it's it's very clear when, you know, we're we're a growing company and LA parking is very tough. Like one of our one of the major things we run into is like, oh gosh, there's too many cars in the garage today. I'm like, okay, great. If that's the level of complaint we got at the company, we're actually doing okay. Yeah. Uh, but but everything else is working out pretty well. So it's it's a really fun job. And, and trying to stay ahead of that as you start thinking about, wow, two hundred and you know, sixty, seventy employees today all right, by December, we're going to be 400-ish, if not more. And oh, by the way, they're not all going to be in Los Angeles anymore. We've got, you know, three major offices here in the United States that are, you know, decent size. We've now got a bunch of different remote WeWork locations around the world. So how do you, you know, not only provide the same services and the, the same experiences for folks that you sit next to, but also my office in Australia where I'm like, oh, yeah, how do they, how do they still feel like a Honey team member? How do they still get communication, which is really important? It's a lot to think about. Yeah. So how do you stay ahead when it comes to um, what other COOs are doing or who do you learn from? Are there, is there anyone that you look to for advice or mentorship or just, you know, reading biographies or how do you, yeah, how do you stay ahead of being a COO? Yeah, uh, it turns out it's, it, if you were to sit down at Google, because I did yeah. <laughs> a few years back, you know, what does a COO do or, you know, help, help me be a COO <laughs> or whatever, whatever you might look to, the idiot's guide to COO. <laughs> there's actually not a lot of material on it because there are some companies that don't believe in it as a function, right? I think in early startups, there are, there's no shortage of debates over whether you should have a COO at a company or not. And, you know, I've been fortunate enough with Honey that we're doing well enough that a lot of VCs are pounding on our door. And, you know, one of the great things VCs bring to the table are introductions. They know tons of people and they're able to connect you. So I've been fortunate. I've had a, a phone call or two with uh, the former COO of Starbucks, right? And he was there for 20 something years where he took, 
Starbucks from a handful of stores to several thousand. And, you know, just kind of getting some, some more stories from that is really helpful. Books are definitely uh, really important to how I figure out what's next for me. Since it's mostly a people organization, I, I, tend, to I tend to lean on a lot of people leaders. Uh, you know, Patty McCord has written a great book on uh, what she did for the Netflix culture, how you establish and define all of that. So, yeah, I think there's, there's as much information. It, it's a newish field where people feel like they need to start writing about it, I think. And, yeah. and that's why I think actually that's how we got introduced today, because I've started blogging a little bit more so that I can provide some information, not only to people that care about being COOs. I don't know how many aspiring young kids are growing up like, oh, gosh, I wish there was a blog about COOs. But at least I can help paint some perspective for potential candidates for the company so they can see how does how does Glenn and some of the executive leadership think about culture or people or development or career paths at Honey. Uh, so at the very least, I'm, I'm building something for our recruiting team to, to reference. Got it. Yeah, I wonder if it's because the role can be so vague. Like I'm thinking about, you know, what I do. I'm like the CFO here, the COO here. I also make sure all our podcasts go out on time and QC everything. And my role is very different than someone else who's like, oh, no, I'm not. I don't do the finances. That's our CFO. I wonder if the vagueness around the term, not even vague, but just how it can be so different depending on the company, the organization, how big it is, what they're even doing, if it's engineering driven or if it's you know, product driven outside of engineering or service driven. Yeah, I think I think it's a pretty humbling job, to be quite honest. Right. My yeah. the way I look at it is and I've always looked at it this way, even as an even when I was an engineer in my days, it's how do you push something across the finish line? Right. I'm a finisher. My parents put that in me where I was just like, get the job done. And sometimes it doesn't matter how you do it. It just means yeah. get it done so you can move on to your next task. Eat your broccoli. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So it's, it's definitely that version of it. So yeah. when and, and as we fill in more leaders throughout the company here at Honey, uh, you know, I share some of my Legos with them. They say, great, we've got people that can handle this for me now. All right. What else is broken? Where's the other hole in the boat? What do I need to plug? That might mean that, okay, maybe I was thinking about doing that, but wow, we just really hired a rock star in that position. So now I don't have to. Inherently, the job is to be in the background. It's to lift up and provide support to the, the rest of the executive team and the entire organization. So I, I do everything I can to kind of hide to a certain degree. Yeah. Um, you no, know, at the company, it's a little differently because I, a lot of our folks don't like to grab the microphone and I, I'm actually fine and comfortable speaking in front of the entire company. So I tend to orchestrate more of our internal discussions, which is fine. But publicly, I'm pretty good at hiding on LinkedIn. I'm pretty good at hiding on you know, industry talks and that kind of thing. It's just, it serves me better to work for Honey than it does to work sort of out in the, in the spotlight. Yep. That's why I think having a COO podcast is so important because like you said, most COOs are behind the scenes and they're like, oh no, go talk to the CEO or go talk to the chief marketing officer when it's like, no, we need to know how to actually operate the business and make this baby work. So yeah, it's good to get people like you on. <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of funny. I mean, most of my life uh, I actually spent as a product, uh, as a product person and I spent as a developer and here at Honey, it's the very first time I'm so far removed from anything in the development process. I'm removed from product schedules. I'm removed from anything in sort of the decisions on what we're building. Uh, it's really unique to me to stand back and watch watch our great team go do what they do best. Uh, but for me, it's like, oh, wow, like that's what I did most of my life. And now I'm I'm doing what I can to just lift them better, like give them the tools they need and remove remove obstacles from their lives and make sure that we've got a, you know, Google Cloud contract in place that was you know going to serve us for the next you know couple of years. Yeah. So what was your company that you were starting before you joined Honey? Ah. And how did you decide to stop doing it? Because that's pretty tough. Uh, it is. So it's I had actually. Uh, 
so I'll fill in the details. When I was moving from Los Angeles or from San Francisco to Los Angeles, I knew I was looking for a change. So I, I had joined Twitter through another acquisition. I, I was at a small company that was headquartered out of Colorado. Twitter bought us, and I, I just realized this you know wasn't the company I was going to be at long term. So moved to LA and thought, wow, LA is actually really up and coming in the tech scene. So I you know I asked for introductions and got introduced to a bunch of uh, VCs around town. And through a friend of mine, I had actually got introduced to a rapper by the name of Chameleonaire. And oh, I think I, I actually think I know his music. <laughs> yeah, he's you know he's he, he won a Grammy back in I think maybe 2006 for his song yeah. Riding, "Riding Dirty." Yeah. Okay. No wonder. So I'm always the person of the company where people throw out names and like very well-known things, and I'm like, no, never heard it, but I actually know that one. <laughs> yeah. So he's he uh, he's actually a really really uh, successful investor. And through him trying to level up his own career, right? He, you know, he had determined I can go on tour and make a couple bucks on the road, or I can take some of that money and invest it and see it really multiply. So, you know, he got on the investor train really early and kept showing up to conferences, trying to level up his own game, and it got friendly with a bunch of VCs uh, to the point where he got introduced to uh, a local LA VC uh, firm called Upfront Ventures, and they actually invited him to be their EIR. So uh, when I moved to LA and started talking to some folks, they said, hey, you should really meet Chameleonaire. He's got a great concept. He's got great, great ideas for what he wants to see for some product. But what he doesn't have, obviously, is you know, a background in building product or in the tech industry. So uh, he and I got introduced and we you know, had a lot of conversations and went, went through a lot of product discovery. And, and ultimately, I said, hey, if I'm, if I'm ever going to start a company, this is the best thing I could probably ever do. I've got somebody that you know, is a visible CEO, and I can definitely be in the background helping and doing anything I can to build the business. So, so yeah, we went out there and raised a couple million bucks and uh, built a prototype and got it out there. And then, you know, my opportunity with Honey came along while we we're in sort of the prototyping phase. And I just, you know, kind of looked at Cam one day and said, hey, I, I think you got this on your own anyway. I think we're, you're actually much more equipped than you think. So you don't really need me alongside you. So I, I, I made the choice to move over to advise that company and, and kind of come over to Honey full time. Got it. Is he still running the company now? It is. Yeah, it's still up and running. Uh, he's got an app that's called Convos. Um, so it's it's a way for you to connect with people through video conversation. Uh, yeah, it's, a, it's a really interesting concept, a, a way that a lot of social media doesn't work today in how trolls really get a voice with influencers and, and, and Convos as a way to really negate all of that, which is great. That's really cool. Awesome. So over your career, what's the most important lesson or lessons that you've learned? And they can be from childhood if you're like, you know, like my parents always instilled this in me or my first job or any lessons that really stick with you that brought you here today? Yeah, I think uh, somebody said to me once that everybody generally is trying to do their best. And I think if you could take that perspective, it, it, it can remove a lot of your frustration at work. Um, as a company is scaling and as new people are getting introduced or maybe you're having to share more of your Legos than you like, you know, as a young, aggressive kid in my 20s, I was like, oh, I want to do everything. I don't want to share. I just want to go kick ass and do all these great things. I started realizing oh, you start butting heads with more and more people in the workplace. And somebody had just said to me, like, do, you, do you really think they're showing up every day with a plot against you to make your life miserable? Or do you think they're trying to do their best to make the company go forward as well? And, and that really resonated with me. And it's and actually something man, almost 20 years now, I think that's stuck in my head where when I run into a difficult situation where somebody I don't click with or something just feels off between us, I just think, all right, what's what's motivating them? How are they how are they thinking about having success in their day? 
And am I doing something to derail that, or uh, is there a better way we can get along? So that that was, to me was really impactful. Yeah, that's really good mentality. Yeah, whether you're COO or just working at any job. And I know in the past, I definitely have gotten frustrated with employees or coworkers, and that's a really good thing to remind yourself of. All right, so we have a lightning round for the last couple minutes. The lightning round is just asking a couple, you have to say, what's on your mind right when I ask it? Are you ready? All right, let's, let's, <laughs> let's see what we can do here. All right, first, what's the best nonfiction or fiction book you've read in the past year and why? Um, so, all right, I, it, it, I'm going to, even though it's a lightning round, I'm going to take a long answer to this. Uh, and I, I've said this to a lot of people throughout many times and they all look at me crazy, but I have a, a daughter that's about ready to turn 13 any day now and reading books to her as a child, the one that resonated with me most, and I still read it today, by the way, it's a book called Everybody Poops. And honestly, I have read that book a thousand times to her. And then I've read it a few times on my own. Uh -huh. uh, well past the day she's asked for it. And it just really, you know, it just level sets the mentality of it. we're all just the same humans. And, and for me, it sticks with me a lot because people get, you know, they get nervous when they interview with me. You know, if I have like an associate come in and like, oh my gosh, I'm interviewing with the COO. And in my head, I'm just like, everybody poops, right? And it's just, it's just this really, really strong message where you're just trying to, I'm just trying to get through this earth just like the rest of us, right? So yeah. and as much as you can pass that along, I think it just makes for better working relationships in general. So sorry for, the long, sorry for no. the long lightning round answer. No, that was perfect. I, I guess I need to buy that book. We have a almost 12 month old now, and I think he would be interested in that. It sounds like a good one. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a great read. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what's your favorite movie, series, or documentary you've watched recently? <sighs> Shawshank Redemption will always be my favorite movie. And interesting enough, there's a series on Hulu called Castle Rock that I'm kind of dug into, which deals with the Shawshank prison to a degree. So yeah, I just like interesting twists on things. It's always fascinating when you don't expect, expect something to happen and it does. Yep, cool. All right, uh, the best tool that you use at Honey that's either you know helps you guys be the most efficient or helps the team work together the best or, or just your, your personal favorite? Yeah, I refuse to say Slack. Uh, <laughs> I would, it, it, I think it's, it's taking over the world in yeah. great ways and in absolutely horrific ways at this point. Uh oh, what's her, what horrific ways I'm interested oh, now. <laughs> yeah, we're, you know, we're, we just built this culture and it's, we're not alone here at Honey. We, I've talked to a lot of folks about this and we just hired somebody in charge of internal communications for us that is on a mission to figure out how people stop slacking somebody that's sitting right next to them. Yes, yes. We have that same issue where we're like, and we have a lot of remote employees and it can cause so many issues with like tone from like texting each other or, you know, messaging each other and then someone getting upset. And I agree, that's been really hard. <laughs> but, I mean, but it, it has definitely changed the way that we uh, operate and work. But I, I think honestly, the most impactful tool we have here at, at, at Honey is the microphone. When we do our weekly, uh, so we do a weekly company-wide meeting where we get up front and we share as much information as we can with everybody at the company. And I think just hearing, again, the tone, as you said, is really, really important. Having them be humanized, you know, having the executives be humanized, having them show empathy, having them talk about vulnerable stories for who we are and why decisions were made, I think it's really impactful. So we, we will continue to do that, you know, every week as, as long as we can support it. We've got people crammed into a room at this point which is really tough to do, but it's, it's really important for people to hear from us every week. Yep, agree. And the last one, what is any favorite app on your home screen of your phone? Or is there anywhere that you're trying to spend less time with certain apps? 
Uh, well, I mean, obviously the honey shopping app is my favorite app on my phone. Yes. Uh, right yeah. on the screen. <laughs> um, I, I would say honestly, you know, the one that I've used the most, so I've actually deleted all my social media apps from my phone, which was a pretty interesting way to figure out how much time you're wasting in the day. Right. And, you know, even though part of my job is making sure that social media it works the right way and that we pay tons of influencers to talk about our brand, sometimes it's helpful to just have that not be in your face. So I would say, you know, Uber continues to be just the, one of the most life-changing apps that's out there. It's just really done everything to make life easier on a lot of different levels. Love it. All right. Any final words of advice or wisdom yeah, for new, for, new COOs maybe? Yeah, or? For, you kids, for you kids out there hoping to move into the COO world. No, I, I think it's, again, it's a very interesting job. I think there's a lot of different things that you can learn from it. And if you want to move into the role, I think it's, again, it's just expect to be humbled, right? Uh, expect that you'll, you'll make 900 suggestions to people and maybe only a hundred of them will stick, but that's okay because I think the job of the CEO is ultimately to de-risk a company. And that's the way I like to think about it. And, you know, everything on top of de-risking a company, you can think about the platform, you can think about the people, but it's really about identifying everything there is to know about right? Don't be the person that doesn't know what they don't know. So suggest as much as you can to the world. And I think that's what the COO does is just gather as much information as possible, present it sometimes with an opinion, sometimes it's just blank facts and then, you know, let the rest of the team work and decide what's best to happen. Love it. Wise words. All right, Glenn, thanks so much for joining us today. This was a really great conversation. Awesome. Thank you so much. Mission Daily and all of our podcasts are created with love by our team at mission.org. We own and operate a network of podcasts and a brand and story studio designed to accelerate learning. Our clients include companies like Salesforce, their customer times five, Twilio, and Katera, who work with us because we produce results. To learn more and get our case studies, check out mission.org slash studios. If you're tired of media and news that promotes fear, uncertainty, and doubt, and if you want an antidote to all that chaos, you're at the right place. Subscribe here and to our daily newsletter at mission.org. Each morning, you'll get a newsletter that will help you start your morning and your day off right. Hey, listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word, and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.